Well, good morning. Welcome to part two of our Against the Odds series or a walk through 1 Thessalonians. We're, we're tackling 1 Thessalonians, a letter that, that I've wanted to do for quite some time. And we learned last week that Paul and Silas were sent out by the church, by the, the, the leaders of the church, to go and establish churches and to spread the gospel throughout Gentile regions. This was Paul's second missionary journey. If you remember the first time he went out with Barnabas, now he's going out with Silas. Paul had a plan to go into Asia, and he kept getting blocked. The Holy Spirit kept blocking him. Things just kept coming up. He had a dream about a man from Macedonia that was saying, hey, come to Macedonia. And so that's where he went, and he went to Philippi first. And so we learned how this church in Thessalonica was established. Paul was only there about four weeks. From what we can tell, it was three Sabbaths before people started coming against him. We don't know if he was there a couple weeks before or after, but we're going to say within a month to two months. He had been building relationships. He was there. And this church, they planted these seeds, they watered these seeds, and this church developed out of that, which what what came against the odds. That's why we named this series that. This whole conversation, especially in the beginning, is how this church was established and they grew against the odds and Paul and Silas had to leave because of persecution pretty quickly. And they kept hearing reports that this church was growing, not only that it was growing, but that they were kind of becoming the model for the other churches in Macedonia and throughout that region. God was doing amazing things there. So we were kind of looking at what they did, and Paul talks about it in his letter, on the things that they did while they were there that helped establish this. Last week we learned that the Holy Spirit was the key that without the Holy Spirit, this would not have happened because Paul and Silas, they planted seeds and they watered seeds, but it was really the Holy Spirit that caused that church to grow. It was the Holy Spirit that brought to their remembrance. He opened up their hearts. That's how it grows. And the Holy Spirit is always the key. It's amazing what they did in that time through the power of the Holy Spirit. It not only survived, but it thrived in that region. So, Remember this, God has given us a mission to do what? Go and make disciples. That's our mission. As believers, if you are a Christian and you're watching this, your job is to make disciples. You're to lead people a little bit closer to Jesus in your interactions, in the relationships that you build. And when you talk to people, your life needs to be that example to move people towards knowing Jesus, becoming disciples and followers of Him. That's what we're called to do. Today we're going to talk about how Paul and Silas did this in a situation that was very difficult, that was against the odds. So we're going to be in chapter 2. We're going to read the first part of chapter 2. I want to kind of lay that groundwork and read verses 1 through 8 really quickly. And then we're going to kind of break this down a little bit, talk about some things we can learn from Paul and Silas and how they were able to pour into the, the people in Thessalonia in such a short period of time. Verse 1 of chapter 2, it says, You yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit with you was not a failure. We talked about that last week, that they did not fail because the Holy Spirit grew what they planted. You know how badly we had been treated in Philippi just before we came to you. 
and how much we suffered there. Yet our God gave us the courage to declare His good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we were not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our hearts. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were not pretending to be your friends just to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had a right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. Or we were like a mother feeding and caring for her own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our own lives too. That's where we're going to start today. We're going to break this down. Man, what a passage. You see the heart and the passion that Paul had for the believers there. And how they established this church in the middle of such difficult things. The first point today is they had pure motives. That's the first thing that Paul talks about. When something thrives, like the church in Thessalonica, or when Paul and Silas have had, uh, especially Paul, when he had success in, in reaching, people would often come behind and try and discredit what he did, say that they were only trying to get money, they were doing all these things for their own advantage or for their own benefit. But Paul reminds them that, hey, we were doing this out of pure motives. Look, our lives were on the line. We just came from Philippi where they tried, they imprisoned us and, and threatened us. And then we come here and we even meet opposition here. Our lives are on the line. We're not doing this because it's fun. We're not doing this because we're getting rich. We're doing this because God has commanded us to do this. Look, look at verses one through three again. It says, and I love verse one. It's what we talked about last week against the odds about how we do things sometimes when we we spend time, we toil, we put ourselves into something and it seems like it's a failure. And then we find out much later that it actually was a success. It's kind of like planting a seed in the ground. You walk away and you hope. You hope that what you've planted, you fertilize it, you do all the things you're supposed to do, but you hope that something will grow out of that. It says, you yourselves know, dear brothers and sisters, that our visit was not a failure. You know how badly we had been treated at Philippi just before we came to you and how much we suffered there. Yet God gave us the courage to declare the good news to you boldly in spite of great opposition. So you can see we're not preaching with any deceit or impure motives or trickery. Because of the opposition that they've went through, because of all that they had struggled with, they wanted to let that be their testimony that they're not doing this for their own gain. They're not rolling up in expensive vehicles. They're not, you know, wearing the nicest clothes. They're not coming with a big fanfare and everybody cheering their name. Actually, quite the opposite. A lot of times when they would come into a town, people would come and, and try and throw them out. Look at Acts chapter 16. I want to go back to Philippi for a minute. And again, this letter tracks with what we know in the book of Acts, which was written by Luke, not Paul. The book of Acts actually shows Paul's testimony of how he came to Christ, 
how he was somebody that was persecuting the church, trying to kill Christians and having them thrown in jail. And then he has this encounter with Jesus. And then you can see his first missionary journey and the churches that came out of that. This is his second missionary journey. But you can see the struggle that he had. He was sent out by Jesus to the Gentiles, to non-Jewish believers. So in Acts chapter 16, we're going to hear a little bit of what happened to him in Philippi that helps him to, to explain, look, we're not doing this with impure motives. We're doing this because God has compelled us. Look at 16.16. 16. It says, One day, as we were going to the place of prayer, we met a slave girl who had a spirit that enabled her to tell the future. This is Paul and Silas out there. She earned a lot of money for her masters by telling fortunes. She followed Paul and the rest of us, shouting, These men are servants of the Most High God, and they have come to tell you how to be saved. This went on day after day until Paul got so exasperated that he turned and said to the demon within her, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her, and instantly I left her. I kind of envision this because what she's saying through the demon is true, but I kind of envision it as mocking. They were, like, they were mocking Paul and like, hey, he's coming to tell you how to be saved and all this kind of stuff. Her master, now look, he, he says, hey, commands this demon in Jesus' name to come out of her. The demon left. Her master's hopes at wealth were now shattered. So they grabbed Paul and Silas and dragged them before the authorities at the marketplace. The whole city was in an uproar because of these Jews, they shouted to the city officials. Do you see how they turned this around? They didn't make it about their loss of income. They said, hey, everybody's in an uproar because of these guys. They're causing problems. They shouted to the city officials. They are teaching customs that are illegal for us Romans to practice. And a mob quickly formed against Paul and Silas, and the city officials ordered them stripped and beaten with wooden rods. They were severely beaten, and then they were thrown into prison. This is where the cool part is, by the way. The jailer ordered to make sure that they didn't escape. Now, they were beaten, thrown into prison. Don't lose that fact. Because what's coming is pretty cool, but they were beaten. They were beaten pretty bad. The jailer put them in the inner dungeon and clamped their feet into stocks. The inner dungeon was where they put the most dangerous criminals because it was the hardest to escape. It was way within the depths. Around midnight, Paul and Silas were praying and singing hymns to God, and the other prisoners were listening. Suddenly, there was a massive earthquake, and the prison was shaken to its foundations, and all the doors immediately flew open, and the chains of every prisoner fell off. The jailer woke up to see the prison doors wide open. He assumed the prisoners had escaped, so he drew his sword to kill himself. But Paul shouted to him, Stop! Don't kill yourself. We are all here. The jailer called for lights and ran to the dungeon and fell down trembling before Paul and Silas. Then he brought them out and asks, Sirs, what must I do to be saved? It's a pretty incredible miracle. Uh, actually, they took Paul and Silas to his home. His whole family was saved. Then they came back to the prison because Paul's like, Look, you'll get in trouble if we're gone. And then they, they petitioned as Roman citizens to go before the city council. And really, Paul, it, it's a pretty cool story, but Paul kind of, in a way, rubs it in their face like, hey, we're Roman citizens and you treated us like this and made the city council 
actually kind of grovel a little bit and apologize to them before they released them. Although they did release them and say, hey, get out of town. So Paul and Silas left. Then they come to Thessalonica and they just came out of a really difficult experience. God did some pretty cool things, but getting beat, getting thrown into prison, all that stuff is not what I would call fun. And yet God gave them the boldness to go into a new area and to begin to preach the gospel. Remember, they went to the synagogue for three weeks. We read that last week. Every Sabbath, they went to the synagogue. Every Saturday, preaching for three weeks before a mob rose up again. People from Philippi came over, rose up again, and they had to leave town and actually imprisoned the people that they were staying with, the people, the residents of Thessalonia. They imprisoned them, and Paul and Silas had to leave after just three weeks of preaching. So they suffered. For many of us, if we were to suffer the way Paul and Silas had, we'd be like, nope, I'm out. This is too hard. God must not be in it. All of those things. I am convinced after 28 years of doing ministry, if God has laid a particular place or a particular place to work or whatever that may be on your heart, He's given you a desire to be exactly where you're at. It's less about how much success we have, and what I, when I put in quotes, and what people would call success, and more out of our long-standing perseverance and obedience to do what God's asked us to do where we're at, even when it looks like what we're doing isn't working, because that's what's happened in Thessalonica. What they did looked like a failure, and Paul even said, look, we know it wasn't because you guys are rocking, you guys are doing a great job. You were born out of that time there. But on paper, to the people around, it would look like a failure. Man, a month, we're already thrown out. I have learned over years of ministry that what the world and even people in the church world deem as successful could be quite the opposite of what God is actually calling important or successful. Because we never know what that seed is going to do. And we never know the effect that it's going to have. We have to come in with pure motives. They were doing this. And he, that's what Paul's point was. Look, we went through all of this stuff. We would not endure this stuff just for the fun of it. We're doing this because we're compelled by God to share with you His love. Out of our love for you, we're sharing this. Through the power of the Holy Spirit, they are able to worship. They are able to be rescued in Philippi. And through the power of the Holy Spirit, they're able to share the Word of God in the midst of opposition, even for that short period of time in Thessalonica. The early church fathers understood that, that suffering was going to be a part of this. It's going to be a part of their journey. They went in expecting it. They're like, well, Jesus suffered. Why wouldn't we expect to suffer? It's a part of that. Even Jesus talked about it. Look at Philippians. Paul talks about it in Philippians. I like this verse because I think it, it explains their, their heart. Philippians 1, 29 and 30, it says, For you have been given not only the privilege of trusting in Christ, but also the privilege of suffering with Him. We are in this struggle together. You have seen my struggle in the past, and you know that I am still in the midst of it. What he's saying is, hey, we struggle together. This sharing and spreading of the gospel is not going to be easy. There are people going to make fun of us. There, 
you know, it could cost us our life. Now, in America, we don't get beaten up for being a Christian very often. It's happened. We're pretty fortunate. But following God has a price to it. We will suffer at times. We'll suffer in different ways. But we've got to keep our focus on Him. And if our motives are pure, if we're doing what He's called us to do with the right motives, He will guide our steps. He will direct our steps. He will keep us as long as we need to be. And that's what we need to keep in mind. Paul uses the example of Philippi to show the pure motives. Now, he's going to give us another side of this. And I I titled this second point, No Bait and Switch. No Bait and Switch. As we shift gears and go on to the next few verses, no bait and switch. And what does bait and switch mean? Think about it this way. How many times have you heard about a good deal somewhere or, hey, come in? I think of like Black Friday sales. Black Friday sales oftentimes are the best form of bait and switch out there. It's legal. Now it is legal. But think about you see the advertisements and, hey, we've got you know, this TV for $150, come get this 70-inch TV for some ridiculously low price. And you get there to find out that they only had like four of them, maybe only one or two. They've sold those out, but now they've got other ones that are similar that are more expensive. Or you come in and, and you go to buy something and maybe you've been thinking about it for a while and man, it's at some great low price and you come in and you go to buy it and then you find out you got to buy all these accessories because the normal price comes with everything, but what you bought was just the basic. It's kind of a bait and switch. You weren't given all the information. It wasn't technically a lie, but it wasn't technically all the truth either. It's, it's deceptive in the way that it's handed to you. And so advertising and companies have done this for decades years and it's frustrating. You think you're coming into one thing and you get another. Uh, man, people do it all the time for like timeshares and stuff. Hey, and you, and we know it now. It's not so much of a bait and switch thing anymore, but hey, we're going to give you a free uh, two night, three day vacation. You just got to show up at this place at this time. Or I, I got an advertisement last week come to this steak dinner and get a free vacation. And what they're going to do is spend the next two hours trying to get you to buy a timeshare. And they're going to really be good at what they do. If you go in knowing the, what's there, you get your free meal and you move on. And what have you spent just a couple hours of your time? But this bait and switch, in a lot of ways, can be very deceptive. It can be very harmful because you think you're getting one thing and you get another. Um... That's why, you know, buying from street vendors sometimes, you know, hey, come buy this Rolex and that Rolex was just a citizen's watch or, you know, just a a watch you could pick up at Walmart that they kind of imprinted Rolex on or whatever. You get deceived. And that's really what bait and switch is about, deception. Well, they didn't come. They came with pure motives and they didn't come to sell something and give something else. They were coming because they genuinely cared. A lot of people, what was really popular in that time period, it's kind of like in Corinth, we talked about this earlier this year, philosophy, debate, speakers were sought after. They would come in and they would 
come and share philosophy and things about life that was really big in the Greek time. It's still big today. Think about it. But it's, it's, it's really not that different, but speakers would travel all over the world and share these great things. But what were they really doing? Were they really wanting to help people or were they really just wanting to get their money or get money from people? I think there have been some really, really well-known people, speakers, motivational speakers. Man, they write a book, they get out there and they, they travel around and they share their insights. And some of them are good, but really they don't care about the people that are out there. They just want to sell books and make money. And that's what was happening. People would come in, even with the gospel, and they would do things and say things to get people's money. They didn't really care about the people. They didn't really care about the message that they were sharing. There was probably elements of truth. It was self-help, all those other things. But they're really their primary goal was to make money for themselves. That's kind of a bait-and-switch type attitude. Paul and Silas... Not only were their motives pure, but they knew that that was a part of the culture and they didn't want that to be a part of them. There were times that Paul got paid for doing ministry, but this was not one of those because he knew that culture. He knew that people would come in and be these great speakers and demand all this this money. They did not demand money of the people that they were staying with, that they were ministering to. Actually, quite the opposite. Look at verses 4 through 6. It says, For we speak as messengers approved by God to be entrusted with the good news. Our purpose is to please God, not people. He alone examines the motives of our heart. Never once did we try to win you with flattery, as you well know. And God is our witness that we were never pretending to be your friends to get your money. As for human praise, we have never sought it from you or anyone else. Paul's like, look. Guys, the only recognition we want is from Jesus saying, well done. That's what we're working for, to please God. This is what God's called us to do. He's called us to share His love with you. We don't demand anything from you. We want to share the love of God with you. That's our purpose We're not here to flatter you, to tell you how great you are, to give you some self-help things so that you'll buy our books and and give us money, tell us how great we are. That's not what our whole purpose is. Our purpose is to share the love of God with you and to honor God with our lives, to hear Him say, well done. That's what they were working for. He points out that their motives were never to be friend just to get. He genuinely cared about them. He cared about what happened to them. Their purpose was to please God, not people. I think one of the dangers, and and you guys hear me talk about this a lot, about building relationships, that we need to be actively making disciples and building relationships. Here's the pitfall. The pitfall is that when we're building relationships with people and we do it to the point, and this is going to lead to my next point in just a second, but we do it only to bring them to salvation, not because we actually really care about them or want to know about their lives, but we'll spend time with them, we'll take them out to dinner and all these things, and then we'll share all these things about Christ, and if they don't receive it, 
we move on to the next person, we forget about them. Man, that does more damage than you could ever imagine. Look, I build relationship with people because I genuinely care about them. Do I want them to come to Christ? Absolutely. Do I want to move them closer to Him? Absolutely. Doing life together, they're going to learn that. However, if they never choose to follow Christ, it does not change my relationship with them. It does not change that I pray for them. It does not change that I care about them. It does not change that I check in on them. Now, I may not, if they do some things that actually harm me, my family, or start coming against Christ, that could hurt our relationship, but my love and care for them does not change. Build relationship with somebody because I care about them, not just because I want them to know Christ. That is a part of it, but that is not my only reason or motive, because we need to genuinely care about the people that God's put in our life and in our path and gives us an opportunity to build relationship with. That's why you can't build relationship with everybody. Nobody has that kind of time. Build genuine relationships with the few people that God's put before you and allow your life to reflect Him in that relationship. Which leads to the last point, the final point. They shared their lives. If you look at verses 7 and 8, this is, I think, the key to this whole statement. As apostles of Christ, we certainly had the right to make some demands of you, but instead we were like children among you. Or, we were like a mother feeding and caring for our own children. We loved you so much that we shared with you not only God's good news, but our lives too. This image that Paul gives of a mother caring for the children, the reason why that's so important, when a parent has a child, and, and, and I'm talking about in most average cases, you can always say, well, this, my parent didn't do this, you know, whatever. There's always extremes. But when a parent cares for a child, they feed them, they clothe them, they teach them, they help them, but they don't demand anything in return. They don't ask them for money. They don't do it to get something from the children. They do it because they love and care about them. They're their children. Paul says that's what we were for you. We loved and cared for you like you were our own children. We're not asking for anything in return. We want to do life with you. We want to share our lives with you. We want to be a part of who you are. To love you exactly where you're at. Now, is the hope for them to know Jesus? Absolutely. And we see that out of that was born that. But they shared their lives with them. They earned the right to speak into their lives. They did not demand their attention, their finances, or anything else. They loved them. They didn't just preach. They showed them what it meant to live. They lived out that message before them. Again, I think this is something that is so important. Jesus talked about it when he was talking about our love for one another, brotherly love. He said, don't just pretend to love each other, actually love each other. I think Paul says that as well. When you build a relationship with somebody, when you're trying to disciple them and draw them towards Christ, maybe they're not a believer, genuinely care about their life. 
Spend time with them. Get to know them. Don't just spend time with them looking for ways that you can tell them about Jesus in that moment. If you're living for Jesus, genuinely living and following Him, that's naturally going to come out of you through the way you live, through the natural interactions. You won't have to look for those specific points to share the gospel. The good news will flow out of you and out of relationship because they're going to know you too. Look, when you show an interest in somebody's life and you spend time with them and you get to know them, they genuinely will probably ask you questions as well. That's why we build relationships. That's why we grow together. We give ourselves to those that God has put to us. Think about it this way. Think about the people that God's put in your life in relationships, maybe coworkers, neighbors, friends, family, whoever they are. Think about it from a pastoral perspective, like they are almost like your congregation in a way. Not that you are going to preach to, but that you're going to do life with and share your love and life together. I think about the people of our church. Does everybody spend time with everybody? No, we don't. But there are people we spend time together, we do life together, we care for one another. That's what was shown in early church in Acts. We, we care for each other's needs. I think of Heather and, and her knee surgeries and food being made for her and getting her to appointments, all of those things. It's how we care for one another. We do life together, not because of what we're going to get out of it. Not because it's going to be another notch on our salvation belt, but because it's what God's called us to do, to make disciples through the way we live and empowering people. So as we wrap up today, the first thing is pure motives. Just going to rehash it. Pure motives. When we're building relationships, do it because we care about the people that God's put in our lives. Let it be genuine love that we share for them. Pray for them. Love on them. Write down their names, their needs. Pray for them. Whether they ask you to or not, just pray. Don't do a bait and switch. Don't sit there and and invite them over to your house to have dinner and then Give them, you know, the 10 points of the gospel and why you did that. If you invite them over to your house for a dinner, man, get to know who they are. Love them. Share your life with them. Which is the last thing to share life. If we are truly living for Jesus, if we're spending time in prayer, we're getting to know the Word of God, we're letting the Holy Spirit control our lives, then we will take advantage of the opportunities that are before us and make relationship with the people that are around us. We'll get coffee. We'll do life together. We'll help each other with yard work. We'll laugh and cry and talk about our kids and all of the stuff that goes with doing life together. And out of that, the opportunities to move somebody closer to Jesus will happen. It's not our responsibility to save anyone. It's our responsibility to take what God has given us and to use it for the best of our ability with whomever God has put in front of us, however God's put it in front of us. Yes, He's going to give us money that's going to fund other people to do missions and ministry all over the world. There's many, many, many different ways that people come to know Christ. But wherever we go, whatever we do, do it out of a genuine love for the people that are around you. Whether they buy 
into Christianity or not. Almost to buy what you're selling. We're not selling Christianity, but think about it. Think about a salesperson. You know, they're, they're all very friendly and talking you up and all those things, trying to get you to buy whatever they're going to sell. They do it through building those connections and those relationships. But the minute you say, hey, you know what? I just can't do this. I don't, it's not something I need. That's not something I have the money for. Whatever it is, those that are trying to build that relationship just for that sale, they'll be gone when you don't respond. But somebody that you have relationships, somebody that you care about, whether they engage with what you're doing or not, they're still your friends. They're still the people in your life. That's what building relationship is about. So I want to pray for you. And, and remember, write down those names. Pray over people. Genuinely love and care for those that are around you. Let's pray together. Father, you've given us a big task. You've given us a task to carry your gospel, your word, who you are to the people around us. Lord, we feel the weight of that. It's our mission. We want to do it well. Help us to love people with pure motives the way you love. Help us to build relationships, not out of what we'll get out of it, not as notches in our belt, but Lord, because we genuinely care about the people that you've put in our lives. Help us to represent you well. Help us to share our lives genuinely and truly with the people around us. Lord, we're, we get so caught up in our own lives. We get so caught up in our own stuff that we, we miss what you've put in front of us. And Lord, I pray that you would help us through your Holy Spirit to grow closer to you, to know you more, and to be open to whatever opportunity you put in front of us. Lord, we want to hear well done. Not a pat on the back from all the people around us, but we want to hear well done from you. Lord, help us to represent you well. And we thank you for the opportunity to serve you in this way. We ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for worshiping with us today. Man, I hope that this resonates with you. And I hope that God has put people in your lives that you can share His love with. That you can do life with. Man, we, that's how we change our culture. That's how we change the world that's around us by being that light in this world and doing it out of love. Have a great week and we'll see you next time.